You are listening to Changing Hearts, Changing Lives, a seminar given by Changing Lives Ministries. Paul Tripp is a counselor and faculty member with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, as well as director of Changing Lives Ministries, a ministry of CCEF. Session 2. I would like you to turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6. We've taken this grand sweep through the Bible to look at our need for personal ministry. And maybe you're, you've been sitting there saying, okay, Paul, I, I understand that I need help and God's called me to help others, but, but what's the goal of all of this? What is it, what is it that we're working on? Uh, where does change need to take place. And, and Luke 6 is a, a wonderful passage to get at that for us. Let me, let me read. Probably one of the most important little illustrations that Christ used in his public ministry. Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now hear this last sentence. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Now the principle of this passage is a very simple one. It's this. The Bible says that our hearts are active, that the heart causes, directs, shapes, and shepherds our behavior. Let me say it in a simple way. You live out of the heart. Your heart is what causes you to do what you do. Think about that. It's very humbling. Your heart is what causes you to do what you do. Now, maybe you're sitting there and saying, well, Paul, what do you mean by the heart? Well, the Bible is very simple. God's Word divides us and ourselves into two categories, the outer man and the inner man. The outer man is your physical self. The inner man is your spiritual self. And there's a lot of words used for your inner man. Uh, soul, spirit, mind, emotions, will, all of those functions are collected by one big biblical word used in about 960 passages of Scripture. The word is heart. The heart is the essential you. The heart is the true you. It's the real you. It's the you inside of the earth suit that is your body. Now, you know that's true. If, I'm, if I say, uh, I'm getting to know you, we're developing a friendship. I don't mean that I have a much more intimate knowledge of your ears. I'm talking about your heart. I know what makes you happy. I know what makes you sad. I know what you believe. I know what's important to you. I have an understanding of your values. I can predict when you'll be afraid. I'm getting to know your heart. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, my mom was raised in a family of ten brothers and sisters. And it was an unbelieving, fairly pagan family. 
And if I could use this term without seeming too harsh, they, were, they used to have rather creepy family reunions. Uh, family wasn't very close, but they liked to have family reunions. They would get together. Everybody would bring their best dish. The world calls that potluck. Christians call that pot providence. Uh, and uh, we, would, we would have the meal, and then the booze would start coming out, and this thing would get pretty wild. And so my parents would always taught us how to uh, eat the meal, work the table, say hello to everybody, because when the drinks started coming out, we would sort of beat our retreat. Uh, one afternoon, my mom was involved with an evangelistic encounter with one of her siblings and didn't realize that my uncle had gotten very drunk. And he was saying sexually provocative things about women in the room. My mom realized that, and she ran downstairs, grabbed my brother, Mark, and I, and she yanked us to the car. I remember it very well. I don't think our feet touched the steps. We sort of just flapped behind her. <laughs> she jammed us in the car, and when, before we drove away, she turned to us and she said, I want to say something to you, and I want you to remember it. I've never forgotten it. Eloquent words. She said, there's nothing that comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there in the first place. Luke chapter 6. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Listen, that alcohol didn't produce that sexual immorality. That man was thinking those thoughts in his sobriety. What the alcohol did was loosen the lips, and when the lips got loose, out came the heart. Now what Jesus is doing is telling us the fundamental way that human beings function. Now, I love his example here. I love it because it's so simple. He says, you're sort of just like a tree. Kind of humbling, isn't it? Uh, what, is the, what, is, what is the first thing you know, notice about a tree? Well, you notice its fruit. If you're looking at an apple tree laden with apples, you're not saying, hmm, I wonder what kind of tree this is. You know, it's an apple tree. And it's an apple tree, get this, because it's appleistic right down to its roots. Now, if you get that illustration you will understand what Christ is saying. When he talks about fruit, he's talking about behavior and its consequences. Like a tree, your life produces fruit. And if you want that fruit to change, you have to realize that that fruit is produced by whatever is at the roots. You can never plant peach pits and get an apple tree. It won't happen. In the same way, human beings live out of the heart. Now here's what this means. Again, this is very humbling. People in situations never cause you to do what you do. People and situations never cause you to do what you do. Oh, it's so comfortable to say, he makes me so angry. Listen, everything you do is the result 
of the thoughts and desires of your heart. Your heart causes you to do what you do. Now, what does this have to do with personal ministry? It has everything to do with it. Because we live out of the heart. Here's what this means. Lasting change always goes through the pathway of the heart. Let me say that again. Lasting change will always go through the pathway of the heart. Let me give you an example. Pretend I have an apple tree in my backyard and every year it produces twisted, brown, pulpy, inedible apples. My wife comes to me and she says after several years, Paul, you know, it doesn't make any sense for us to have an apple tree in our backyard and we can never eat the apples. And I think and I ponder, I want to please this lady that I'm married to. And so I tell her, I got an idea, I'm going to fix our apple tree. Saturday I'll fix our apple tree. She's quite excited. I've got to pay attention to this. She looks out the back window that Saturday morning and she sees me carrying these items. I have a big, tall stepladder. I have a pair of industrial-grade branch cutters. I have a nail gun and three bushels of red, delicious apples. <laughs> and I climb up on that ladder and I lovingly cut off every twisted, pulpy, and edible apple. And with love and attentiveness, I nail three bushels of red, delicious apples onto that tree. From 50 yards, it looks like this must be the yard of the horticulturalist of the century. <laughs> this tree is laden with fruit. Now, if you're my wife, what are you thinking at this moment? <laughs> you're thinking it finally happened. This is the big one. Now what's going to happen to those apples? Say it. They're going to rot. Why? Because they're not attached to the life-giving roots of the tree. Can I give you a bit of an insight here? I am convinced that most of what the Church of Jesus Christ does in the name of personal ministry is nothing more or less than apple nailing. It's don't do this, do this counsel. And it pays attention to behavior, but it doesn't pay attention to the heart. And unless the heart changes, the behavior won't change for very long. And what happens to people who receive that counsel? Well, they change for six weeks or six months, but they go right back to where they were before because the heart hasn't changed. Lasting change always takes place through the pathway of the heart. The heart is God's target. God will settle for nothing but your heart. The Old Testament, what is the charge? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I hate their sacrifices. I hate their holy days. I hate their solemn similes. I, their God, I want their hearts. Wow. Now that leads us to the question, what is the most important thing that I'm looking for as I'm examining the heart? Well, the most important question is, is this, what is it that rules 
this person's heart. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14. This is a bit of a mysterious passage, but I'll, I'll try to explain it to you. Verse 1, Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites sets up an idol in his heart and puts a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who all have deserted me for their idols. Elders of Israel, the spiritual leadership of Israel, comes to God to ask questions of him. It's the right people doing the right thing. But as those men come to ask the prophet questions for God, God observes that there's something wrong with them. What is it? Look in your Bibles. What's wrong? Okay, idols. What kind of idols? Idols of the heart. This is more than religious or cultural idolatry. What is an idol of the heart? Hear this definition. An idol of the heart is anyone that anything that takes functional rulership over my heart other than God. Romans 1.25, just write the passage down. Romans 1.25 says that we tend to exchange worship and service of the Creator for worship and service of what? The creation. People's love becomes more important than God's love. Possessions rule us. Affection rules us. Reputation and appearance rule us. That wonderful hymn says... Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter, a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You see, we all tend to migrate away from worship and service of the Creator toward worship and service of the created thing. God recognizes idols in these men's hearts. And so he says this, I will answer them in keeping with their great idolatry. Know what he's saying? (coughs) He's saying, the only thing I want to talk about is the idolatry. Wow. Why would God say that? Maybe they have important questions to ask. Maybe there there are points of crisis in the culture of Israel, and these men need God's advice. Why would God say, I don't want to talk about anything else. I only want to talk about your idolatry. Well, there's a hint in this passage. Let me read verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts, now hear this, and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. I want everybody to participate. I'm willing to wait. I want you to take your hand and put it up to your face like this. Please, everybody do this. Some of you are way too uh, aware of other people, too mature, too culturally uh, mature. Okay, we're all doing it. Now, look through your fingers. Turn your head right to left, up and down. Okay, you can take your hands down now. That has nothing to do with this passage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it actually does. Watch. Son of man, these men have idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Now watch. 
If my hand is in front of my eyes, what happens to my vision? It gets obstructed. And wherever my head goes, uh, my vision's still obstructed. You can give me a course on proper scene. You can lecture to me about the importance of eyes. You can buy me new glasses. You will not alter my vision until what? My hand comes down. That's a powerful illustration. It illustrates this dynamic principle. It's an amazing principle. It's this. The principle of inescapable influence. Whatever rules the heart will exercise inescapable influence over my life and my behavior. Whatever rules the heart will exercise inescapable influence over my life and my behavior. Brothers and sisters, your heart and what rules the heart determines the way you respond to what's going on in your life. Now, you've seen that. You just don't recognize it. I wake up in the morning, and I'm getting ready to go. My heart at that moment is ruled by what? My needs, my wants, my desires, my schedule. I, I run down the hallway to a bathroom door that's closed. I don't say, isn't it a wonderful thing that somebody in my family is going to get ready in a timely manner? <laughs> I bellow, who's in the bathroom? As if it's a heinous crime. No one in my family ever gives a name. They say, somebody's in here. I say, well, do you know who he is? Tell him I need to get in there. Or my wife and I go out to eat a lot. We'll often order the same meal. Chicken breasts. My meal is served, I'm served the breast of an anorexic quail. <laughs> She's served the breast of a seriously obese turkey. I can't believe it. I'm not sitting there thinking, God's bounty and abundance has dropped on my wife again. What a wonderful thing. I want to say to the waiter, are you an, are you an idiot? And I want to get that, that plate in front of me without seeming as selfish as I actually am. So I say, what do you think of the portions? She never gets it. She has never said, mine's way too big. Why don't I take your little quail? She'll say, I got plenty. I got, I got enough for today and for lunch tomorrow. I can make chicken salad. My evening's ruined. You see, that's the heart. That's what rules the heart. Because the hugest idol of idols is the idol of self. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says that Jesus came that those who live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him who loved them and gave himself for them. Listen, 
The, as you're examining the heart, please hear this. The most important question is what in this situation is ruling this person's heart? Because what's ruling their hearts will set the agenda for their behavior. See, the problem with the husband is not that he gets angry at his family. The problem is all those thoughts and desires that cause that anger. You see, unless those things change, change won't take place in his behavior. Your heart is always being ruled by something. Brothers and sisters, can I say this to you? There is often, often a dramatic difference between our confessional theology and our functional theology. Listen, you will sing hymns to a God of glory. And you can be down the road three quarters of a mile and be ruled by something else. And God doesn't just want your heart on Sundays. He wants it in the bathrooms and bedrooms and vans and hallways of everyday life. Because if he does not have your heart, he does not have you. Most important question is what effectively, functionally rules the heart. Powerful. And we've got this propensity to wander away from the Creator toward the creation. Great theologian John Calvin said, the heart of man is an idle factory. We literally have the ability to turn anything into an idol. Respect, appreciation, success, control, a certain position, a certain possession, a certain quality of lifestyle. All of those things can become things that begin to remove God from the rulership of our heart and actually become our functional rulers. James chapter 4 says, why are there so many fights and quarrels among us? He doesn't follow that by saying, don't they come from those people that you live with? <laughs> what he says is this, hear these words, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you can't get it. You see, my problem with the people in my family, hear this, is not that they sin. I get angry because when they sin, they step on my idols. I come home at night, and what I sort of desire is a fully sanctified wife and self-parenting children. <laughs> Doesn't seem a lot to ask. An evening when the people of my family are remarkably holy. I want the right to punch out from life. I don't want to have to solve a quarrel at 10.30 at night. I want neighbors who are deliriously happy to live next to me. <laughs> I want a traffic-free life. 
I, was, I had this irrational moment a while back. I was sitting in traffic in Philadelphia. I'm a project-oriented person. I always, I always have lot that I, lots that I want to accomplish. And uh, I was stuck in traffic. I was frustrated. And this thought hit me as I'm stuck in traffic. Don't they know I have somewhere to go? <laughs> they don't. I was, I was expecting people to look in the rearview mirror and say, oh, Paul's behind us and sort of pull off the road like the waters of the Red Sea parting, and I could drive through saying, thank you, thank you, I'll be by here, not tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't that what fantasy is? You see, whether it's sexual fantasy or fantasy for any other thing, in fantasy, what you do, what do you do? You rise to the role of creator and sovereign. You create a world of your own making that does your bidding. Whoever fantasizes, somebody saying no to you. Because secretly, there are things that have your heart and you're frustrated that you can't get them. You see, what causes you to do what you do is not the tough situations in your life, not the people in your life. It is the God, little g or big G, that's ruling your heart. That's what we want to look at this weekend. Because if we say that we're still people in need of change, hear this, what we're saying is God still has work to do in your heart and my heart. Because there is still a battle going on in your heart. There are things in your heart that are fighting for the position that God and God alone is meant to have. And when that happens, you and I get in the way of what God is doing rather than be part of it. That's a wonderful thing. This is where we'll end uh, this session. The Bible talks about the thoughts and motives of the heart. Your heart is always thinking, and your heart is always purposing. Parents don't ever say to your kids, your problem is you don't think. The problem is they think. They think incessantly. They think constantly, but they think improperly. And we're always desiring. You never enter a room without thoughts. You never enter a room without desiring. And here's the comfort. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, again, a familiar passage about the Word of God, tells us this. Hear this comfort that God's Word, are you ready for this, is able to cut through the layers and to expose the thoughts and motives of your heart. I think this is wonderful. It's, it's almost mysterious, but it's true. You can know your heart. You can know your heart. You can begin to understand what are your greatest heart struggles. You can begin to see your functional idols exposed. You can grow and change because God, by His Spirit, can reveal the heart. The Word of God is like a great mirror. You got up this morning, you looked in the mirror, didn't you? Suppressing your screams. Uh, gauging the damage that, that the night has done. 
And you accept the message of the mirror. You don't argue with the mirror. You don't say, you've been hanging in my bathroom for many years and this is the way you treat me? <laughs> you listen to the message of the mirror and, and you immediately pull out instruments of human repair. The Bible's a wonderful mirror. It will show you yourself as you actually are. It will show you your inside, not just your outside. Some of us are looking in carnival mirrors. The carnival mirror of cultural values, the carnival mirror of our opinion, the carnival mirror of our success, the carnival mirror of the opinion of others. The carnival mirror shows you you, but it shows you you with distortion. You don't actually have a three-inch torso and a 15-inch neck. And if we look intently in the Word of God, we will come to know ourselves, know the true thoughts and motives of our heart. God help us. God wants our heart. The focus of personal ministry is the heart. Because when lasting change takes place in the heart, that change does last. God wants to rule your heart. And He's zealous to deliver you from anything else that challenges His rule. Thank Him for His goodness and His grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of what we have been talking about. Thank you for the depth and wonder of your word. Thank you that you understand the deepest issues of the human experience. Thank you that you are the great knower of our hearts and that you've given your word so that we can know ourselves and in knowing ourselves by your spirit be able to see real lasting change take place. We would pray with the psalmist, search us and know us and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. For information about this resource and others like it, call Resources for Changing Lives at one 800 318 2186 or visit us on the web at www.ccef.org A CDR Communications Production